0: well good morning everyone all right come on in and have your seats i shouldn't do this but my mother my sister and my brother are here and they're Uh, john actually i think john's first time in the building jennifer's been here a number of times so he's giving john a little bit of a tour earlier so it's good to have them we're celebrating on my wife's birthday from yesterday. So um, it is so good to be here with you today. There is something about being with God's people, and I am looking forward to worshiping with you this morning. So, just a couple of announcements. You are familiar with your weekly announcement sheet, so please make sure you get that. It's got some of the key things that are going on here at the chapel. Uh, we had a really great day, supposedly yesterday. I wasn't invited. I um, <laughs> wonder why I wasn't invited, but uh, Joel and her group did a wonderful job yesterday. I heard we had over 40 women that were here, um, so that was a blessing. And so we have a number of things coming up, and I can't believe Thanksgiving is two weeks away, so it's just, life is kind of crazy. Um, Also, if you remember your uh, Thanksgiving prayers uh, every day, uh, today I want to read the one that we're doing uh, for our day of thankfulness. Every day this month, I've asked you to consider one verse of scripture that will focus you on gratitude and what God has done in your life. And today's verse comes from Psalm 138, verse 2. It says this, I bow down towards your holy temple. And give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And I was thinking, in many ways, isn't that exactly what we do? We're coming here to his holy temple, his church. We're giving thanks to his name. We're thinking about his steadfast love. We're thinking about his faithfulness. And what are we looking to do? We're looking to exalt his name and his word. But that's exactly what God wants to do for you as well. He wants to exalt his own name in front of you, and he wants to exalt his word so that you can be nourished and strengthened and encouraged. So let us do that well this morning. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you for the temple that you've given us. Father, it's a building But even that, greater than that, you call us your own temple that you now reside within us. It's just so mind-blowing that the God of this universe has taken residence in us who have truly believed in you. Thank you, Lord, for John one fourteen. It says that your son came and dwelt among us, and he was full of grace and full of truth. So help us to exalt him today. Father, there's so many people in our church right now that are struggling, struggling with physical struggles, struggling with relational things, struggling with just things that are happening around them. And Lord, I pray that you would comfort them with a peace that is beyond imagination. I pray that you would be lifted up in their eyes. I pray your word would constantly encourage them. Father, today as we sing your word, as we hear your word preached by Pastor Doug, and as we display your word through the taking of the communion service, Lord, I pray that your son would be exalted. I pray your spirit would fill us. And I pray that you're going to be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.
1: everybody. Happy to have you here. Let's sing, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Here we go, even though, even though I walk through the
2: valley of the shadow of death. I won't turn back. go. Sing, you stood. You stood before creation. Eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion. My soul now to stand. You stood before. Failure. And carry the cross for my, my shame. shame. is my sin. My sin weighed upon your shoulders. My soul now to stand. So, what can I say? And what can I do?
1: We give our hearts,
2: but offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll walk upon salvation, your spirit's alive in me, your spirit alive in me. This life. Life to declare your promise My soul now to stand So what can I say? So what can I say? And What can I do?
1: There's only one thing
2: But offer this heart
1: So what can I say? So what can I say? And
2: what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. we in awe of the one who gave it all. And I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all. I'll this heart, oh God, completely to you.
1: So what can I say?
2: So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart Completely.
1: my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me.
2: I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his womb, his hands, his feet. My Savior
1: Tree. He did it for us. His body, his body bound
2: and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still. praise the name oh praise terms.
1: Let's go back and sing that chorus one more time. We'll keep it down. Oh praise
2: the name of the Lord our God. Oh praise his name forevermore, for endless days.
1: Yes, Lord, we know you hear your people this morning. They are singing your praises. They are singing of what you've done for them and sending your son to die on the cross for them. But we know that's not the end of the story. You rose from the grave, defeating death and then in so doing, if we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and our Savior, then you defeat death in us as well. God, we praise you for your amazing grace. We praise you for your eternal glory. We praise you that at the end of all things, there is you. And we thank you, Lord, that you bring us into that family, into that place with you. There is hope in this world. There is hope in this world, and it is Jesus Christ and him alone. God, we thank you for this time of worship. We ask now you would help us to continue to worship as we hear your word from Pastor Doug. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
3: Oh, good morning. It's good to have you here today. Junior church, uh, young people, you can be dismissed at this time. Five years of age up to third grade. Um, so just one clarification, because some people have asked about it. Just want to make clear, some people are wondering if I forgot to shave under my nose this morning. So my, my son uh, put me on a dare uh, for November. So um, apparently it's called No Shave November. So we saddled, settled for a mustache. So I told him I'll do it in November, and it comes off December 1st. So anyway, that's what it is. So don't get used to it. It's passing. M- my wife says it's like kissing a uh, a bristle. Oh, we are. All right. Um, so anyway, just a couple things to keep in mind. It, Elizabeth. Is today your birthday? Yes, it is. Well, we want to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's good. Sure. I, yeah, we, we won't sing. And we won't give you your age. I, I don't mind. You don't mind? No. You're 85? 85. I mean, Elizabeth is, I was going to say spunky, maybe I should use the word spunky, but energetic, right? And don't you pray that when you're 85, you have that kind of energy? I do. I mean, uh, I tell my kids, I probably won't even be here by then, but whatever. Uh, Anyway, so I guess we're good to go. All right, great. Um, On a more serious note, um, I hate cancer, don't you? I mean, does anybody in here, when they hear the word, go, oh, wow, right? No, for all of us, we've, I mean, I, I, as I look back even at my family, my mom died of cancer, my sister died of cancer, my stepmother just recently died of cancer, and you all have the same stories, and some of you in here have, and God has been gracious to, and he's brought you through it, and others of you are struggling with it, even now, but you can't It doesn't do you any good to deny it, does it? We all know people who have a terrible disease. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's something else. And they just live life as if there's no problems at all. And and you go... And and you say, you're living in denial. Because if you don't diagnose the disease and the problem, there's no way you can come up with a protocol and, 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 and hope for a cure, right? It just... I mean, it's just the way it works. And I would like to argue that we know that all physically. We know that in the medical arena. But much of our world will not accept that in the spiritual arena. They refuse to accept the diagnosis of where humanity is. And if you don't understand the diagnosis, the sickness of where we are, you can't understand, or receive the cure. I've told you this many times, but it's true. The only people that Christ cannot help in the Gospels are those that don't think they need any help. Remember in John 9? A group of the Pharisees over the blind man who's healed and then they move from the physical to the spiritual and all that. And the guy is miraculously saved. It's beautiful. And and Jesus is talking about the fact that he comes to give sight and then the Pharisees come up to him and say, well, we're not blind too, are we? And Jesus in that cryptic way in which he often communicates says, you know, if you think you see, you're really blind. And the only people I can help are those who know they're blind. Because if you know you're blind, I can help you to see. I mean, that, isn't that the issue? And if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, wasn't there that time in your life when you went like, Oh no, this is a terrible diagnosis. Yeah. It's worse than I thought. Yep. And that was the way home. When we come to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wants to give us the diagnosis before he gives us the cure. He wants to give us the bad news before he gives us the good news. Because the good news is not good unless you understand just how bad the bad news is. So, in Ephesians 2, and I know it's a familiar text, but kind of do like that old commercial, I don't remember, Kellogg's or something, taste again for the first time as we work our way through this passage. I, I don't want to get too technical with you, but I do want to raise a couple things as we come to the text, which I find to be really interesting. So in this passage, in verses two to th- 1 to 3, Paul's going to give the bad news, the diagnosis. And then in verses 4 to 10, he's going to give the good news, or the cure. Okay? Does that make sense? So that's really how the section breaks down. But I want you to notice how the passage begins. And you might just kind of run over it. And some of the translations don't even indicate it. But, but I, I'm reading from the New American here. The first word in chapter 2, verse 1, is the word and. Do you have that in your translation? You may, you may not. Well, when you see an and, not always, but often in Scripture, it's t- directly tying back to something that's come before. And you don't know this in the English translation, and I don't mean to get creaky with you, but but this might might help. The word you is not the subject of the sentence, it's the object of the sentence. Even though there is no explicit subject or verb there. Literally, it's something like subject, verb, you. Because in the Greek, you can show that this is meant to be the object, it's not meant to be the subject of the sentence. And you say, who cares, Finkbeiner? tell you why I care. James preached last week about that that wonderful prayer at the end of... uh, uh, I was going to say James chapter 1, but Ephesians chapter 1. James preached on Ephesians chapter 1, okay? Um, And he was talking about the power of God that he has toward us. Remember that? And he said, God, the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead and seat him at the right hand and subject all things to him. Remember he said that? It's the same power that's for us. The and of verse, chapter 2 verse 1 is still going back and working off of that sequence. And literally in this passage what he's doing is he's saying God has raised Christ from the dead and seated him and subjected all things to him and this is the other thing that God has done. God is the subject of chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And he literally leaves out the God, he's going to tell us in verse 5, God is the one who also raises us up with Christ. And seats us with Christ. Do you see? So he's following that same pattern. But Paul, as he's telling the story, he wants you to know what God has done. But he says to himself, eh, I better stop and talk about the you first. And that's what he does. I mean, I, I, I always like to try, as much as I can, try to get in the mind of Paul and these guys when they're writing what they're doing. And he's just going like, oh man, I'm going to tell them about God. But nah, 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 nah. I better handle the diagnosis first. And then I'm going to tell them about God. Does that make sense? So the bad news always comes before the good news. So what does he say? Look at what chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 says. I do have some bad news here for you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. There is no wiggle room, folks. It's everybody. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. This is comprehensive. I may not know you personally, but I know all of you in this way. We are all born Sinners. Um, there was a movie years ago that was done. Well, Sean Penn, I think, was the was the key actor there. But the movie was called "Dead Dead Man Walking." And and, 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 and and you know that word can be used. Dead. We use it a lot of different ways. I know there's a zombie movie that was done on it too. Forget that one. Okay, okay. I know, just forget the zombie thing. But, but 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 the point is, when that person has a life sentence. They're as good as dead. And that last walk they make before they're actually executed is called dead man walking. At least it was in the movie. That's how they used it. This text is telling us that all people are dead people walking. Aren't they? We're dead, but we're walking according to a certain lifestyle. So he looks at Doug Finkbeiner, this text looks at all of us, looks at Doug Finkbeiner and it says, Doug Finkbeiner's state is, he's dead. He is separated from God. I'm as far, from, I'm, when I was born, going my own way, and I came to Christ when I was eight, I was young. But as a seven-year-old, I was dead in my sins, doing my own thing. Now, my world experience is different than other people. Fair enough. But we're all born dead. And he goes on to say this. I even made up a chart. No, don't laugh at my chart. I worked hard on this one, but there it is. Um, he says a couple, I had a hard time finding those avatars. I want you to know that, but I shouldn't tell you this. I tried to draw a stick figure first. It didn't go so well. It was, it was man, I almost kept it. I thought, nah, I better get rid of that one. It, was, it looked more like an amoeba or something. I don't know what it was. It was not a good thing. But I found these avatars, so this kind of worked. But there's a variety of dynamics that he talks about in this passage. And the one is that we're dead, which is why I've laid them that direction. We're separated from God. And the problem with Doug Finkbeiner is multifaceted. It's the same problem with you. I have influences, shaping influences from the outside, and I have an expressive heart from the inside. Do do, do you see that in the text? He says, look, this is really, really, really bad. Because you've got dead people who are separated from God on their way to hell. And they have chosen to walk a lifestyle that is consistent with the world system around them, which is anti-God. Now, it doesn't mean that the world doesn't do some really nice things, too. Like, we all get that. But at its core... It's not generated out of, let's glorify God, the one that we need and love. Is it? No. It intersects with good things a lot. I get that. But as a system as a whole, it is actually saying, you can depend on yourself and you should be centered on yourself. That's what it says. So we have an outside world influence, which is pushing us to value Doug Life is about Doug. How does Doug feel? What does Doug want? You need to actualize yourself. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Doug, 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 Doug. The world system. But it's worse than that. Because outside of that world system, this text tells me, is there's the prince of the power of the air. The devil is actively at work through that entire world system in conjunction with what goes on in my heart, to always say, you don't need God. You can do it yourself. You're more important than him. I know Jesus came. Forget that. Isn't it? And and what, what strikes me is really strange, and it's really true. The devil is brilliant. And his strategy is based on the audience that he's trying to get to walk away from God. His strategy in the U.S. might be very different than the way it's handled in a tribe in some place in South America. And I I just know from my own experiences, you know, when we lived lived in Brazil for several years and had some really, really interesting things. But at least when I was living there, uh, the spirit world was everywhere with people. It scared me to death. I I had probably the best prayer life of my life when I was a junior higher in Brazil. Because it scared me to death. And I, we saw a lot of graphic things that just... And the devil was happy in certain situations to do it that way. But then maybe to come to a place like America and and use secularism as a way to lead you away from God. He doesn't care whether you believe in him or not. He just doesn't want you to believe in God. Do you see? And so he can do this in a whole... So you have this picture in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. The devil is at work... ...in the world... ...and here I am. And when you look at me... ...look at what it tells you about me. Because not only am I shaped... ...by the influences around me... ...I am culpable... ...because I choose to do it. Right? Look at verse 3. Among them... ...we too all formerly lived... ...in the lusts of our flesh... ...indulging the desires of the flesh... And of the mind. Doug Finkbeiner loves to create idols in his image. My image, not God's. Because it works my side of the street. And so I live in a world where I want the wrong kinds of things and I believe the wrong kinds of things. And that's because I don't want God to be central in my life. I want me to be central in my life. Isn't that how it works? And we live in a world where people have, I've told you this before too, we have a problem with the i onesies don't we? You say that with your children sometimes. You never talk to a child about total depravity by saying, honey, you're totally depraved. <laughs> like, hello, what does that mean? But you say, honey, you have a problem with the i one And I got a couple grandkids now, which has really been fun. And, man, don't you see it like at a really young age? My kids couldn't even walk yet, and they were already going, uh. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking like, you're going, uh, I feed you. I put you to sleep. I hold you. I care. Uh. I'm I'm just saying. But have things really changed? I just go, uh, in a little bit of a different way. Because I want what I want. It doesn't mean I always want bad, wicked, vile things in and of themselves. I may want natural things too much. I would like to be respected. I would like to be loved. Um, I would like my life to be comfortable. Wouldn't you? But I can take any one of those and I can put them in the very center of my heart. And if I don't get it, I go, uh. Because I want that. God, you need to be about me rather than me be about you. And when Paul describes the world around him, when he describes us, the diagnosis is very clear. You are shaped by all these outward influences, from the devil to the world, and you are culpable because you choose out of the, your own heart to go for the I1Cs and to believe lies about God and about people and about all kinds of things. It's kind of bleak, isn't it? It gets worse, three b, and we 're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I, 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 you know, look, I get it. We all want to talk about god 's love, and I, I love talking about god 's love. We beautiful songs, as always, but you cheapen his love if you don 't recognize his wrath. You cheapen his grace if you don't recognize his holiness. And all people, and God's wrath is not, like like when we talk about our wrath, we go, it tends to be reactive, like, or something like that, right? God is absolutely always consistent with his wrath, and it's always expressed appropriately out of his very character at all times, but it's his stance toward people who are walking as if there's no God for themselves their own way. And we live under the wrath of God. But Christ has come because God also loves us. It's really hard for us to do both at the same time, isn't it? I'm either angry with you or I love you. God can do them both at the same time. Go figure. Because it's out of his character. But this text tells you very clearly the diagnosis is not good. The diagnosis is, I am a sinner from the inside out. I'm shaped by the world around me. I'm shaped by the whole demonic forces around me. And I'm at enmity with God himself. Well, thanks, Finkbeiner. Really glad we came to church today. When we face the diagnosis for what it is, then the depth of God's mercy and grace and love becomes amplified. The real sentence, the real key sentence in this passage, that and of verse chapter 2, verse 1, Paul can't wait to get to God. But he has to talk about this first. But now he's ready to cut loose. And I love those first two words in verse 4, but... God. Being rich in mercy. Do you love that? He's not like just doling out enough to get you by. Oh, no. God is rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. No, way! did you just say he, he, he's, he's, we're under his wrath? Yeah. And now you're telling me he loves us. Yeah. This God, who we're, we were as far away from as possible, is the same God who sent his son and so loved us that he said, I want to extend my mercy and my grace to you. It's not about you, what you do. It's about what I do and what I do alone. So look at what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because he loves us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, I was absolutely hopeless in my transgressions and sins. And sometimes the, he uses different words, and sometimes the word just means we violate his law, and other times it means I purposely violate his law. I don't care because I want what I want. God says, When Finkbeiner, when you were in that state and you were as far away from me, you were my enemy. I loved you in Jesus Christ. The God, this God came to me and look at what he did. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, our transgressions, he made us alive. I'm not a dead man walking anymore. I'm a living man. Maybe not much, but I am. And anybody who accepts Christ doesn't matter how dead you were because we're all dead. A corpse is a corpse. Whether it's a day or a month, it's a corpse. God enlivens that person. He brings them into a state of complete reconciliation in relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? I was as far away from him as you can imagine. You say, well, you were only eight. It doesn't matter. And in that gracious act, God made me alive. But not just that. Look what he says. He made us alive with Christ. And then he's going to get to this in more detail, but he can't help at least throwing it in here. He's just like, Paul, just like that. He has to say, by grace, you have been saved. He's going to get back to it, but he's just like, yeah, you know, and he pulls back. Not only has he made you alive, but he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Remember what he did in chapter one? God raised up Christ and seated him. You know what he did in Doug Finkbeiner's life when I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior? He said, you are so united to Christ that you have been raised with him. What he did was now accomplished in your life. And you are seated with him. Colossians 3 says that my life is so bound up in his. That I am hid with Christ in God. Isn't that unbelievable? I was way out there. And now I'm stuck to Jesus. I'm in Christ. I've been raised with him. I'm with him now. And as he rules, he sees me. He knows me. What, is, what he's done is mine. It doesn't boggle your mind when you read a like, passage like Romans chapter 8. And you and I are called joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to just kind of slide in as a slave. Like, really. Like, hey, get to heaven. Like, hey, Lord, I'm just like, whatever. I'll do the door. Whatever. I'm just really happy I'm here. Brothers and sisters, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are a joint heir of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I've cranked it out? No! Because God has graced me and did something that is unimaginable, frankly. When you start with the diagnosis and now you look at the cure, you go like, wow! God, why did you do all this? Verse 7. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I've thought about that passage. I don't always know quite what to do with it. I like it a lot. Best I can figure. He talks about the age in which we live and then... There's all eternity. He just explains it as ages upon ages, right? It just It just keeps going. I believe in ways that we can't fully understand in eternity. God is just going to continue to unpack for us the wonder of his grace in ways that we keep saying to ourselves, oh, man, holy mackerel. My wife always says, don't say holy with mackerel, but Whatever. But, but whatever, whatever, I mean, everything's going to be holy in heaven, so I guess it doesn't matter. But, but, but you know what I mean? I just think as, as you and I are in his presence for eternity, we're going to keep looking at each other and pinching each other and you're like, can you believe this? It's better than we. And, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Wow. No. Yeah. Mm. Whatever, whatever you want to use, okay? Whatever, whatever your expressions. Isn't that what he's saying? That God's just going to keep unfolding to us how incredibly rich he has been for us in his grace. And we're going to go like, that's unbelievable. Which is why he says in Ephesians 3, I want you to pray, Paul's going to have another prayer, and in that prayer he says, I just pray that you might begin to unpack the height and depth and breadth and width of how much God has loved you in Christ. So we try to do it in this world. That's why we sing these wonderful praise songs. And you see what happens, don't you? You sing it along and you're just going like, yeah. Don't you? Oh, man. Yeah, that's me. Hmm. We're going to get to heaven. and that, It's going to be that on steroids. Way over the top. And it's just going to keep expanding. And we're going to keep going like, this is unbelievable as he unpacks his unfathomable grace. He then explains in verses 8, 9, and 10, gives us two explanations, one in 8, 9, and and one in verse 10. Listen to how he explains it, because at the end of the day, he does not want us to get into eternity and go like, oh, wow, isn't Finkbeiner amazing? Can you believe Doug Finkbeiner? Is that what he wants? No! He is everything. So he says this. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not as a result of works. So that no one should ever boast. He says, you know what? Your entire salvation is God's work. He has saved you. And it would be kind of like, you know, if, if I told you like, um, hey, yeah, you know, I was drowning, you know, and um, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was ready to go under and some guy jumped over a lifeguard and he swam out to me and, and, and he put his arm around me and he said, Fink Barner, just relax. Don't do anything. I'll take it from here. And man, you should have seen how I relaxed. I mean, I just cooked, cooked back and didn't do anything. And Man, I was amazing out there. (laughs) Like, would anybody ever say that? You know what I would say? I did nothing. I just let him do his thing. I just responded to what he was doing in my heart. I believed. But I don't go to heaven and say, boy, you should have seen how I was cutting back and not doing anything. No way. It is his work, plain and simple. He brings me into relationship to himself and he saves me. I merely respond in faith to what he's doing. That's it. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. And Paul will unpack this in greater detail in Romans 3 and Romans 4, doesn't he? And he will say, there's two ways to live. Some people will try to work their way to heaven. And what they're looking for, they're looking at their deeds as a wage that you pay them for. And God says, that never works. And others will hear the truth and believe. Works by grace through faith alone. There's only two ways. And in a group this size, you probably have some really wonderful people in this room that are kind neighbors and be great workers. But you've never come to terms with the real diagnosis. Where well, you've actually opened up and said, no, if I'm really honest about what's going on in my soul, I will not want anybody to know about this. Well, God already knows. And he wants to forgive you of your sins if you will trust him and him alone. Do you see? The diagnosis, the cure, it's God who graciously shows his mercy. Oh, then think, Barney, you don't care how we live. Is that what you're saying? No, no, he, no, no, he goes on. He's going to qualify that one for us too. Look what he says in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Your translation may say creation because it's often used for, for God creating. And, and 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 I would argue that this is the new creation work of God, okay? So creation is a good word, some workmanship, handiwork, a variety of things. For we are his workmanship, or his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's that word walk again. Do you see it? But this is a really different walk. And so what he says is, there was a time when God came into your life, if you know Him as Lord and Savior, where you said, "Lord, the diagnosis is terrible. I need Jesus." And in one swell, in one moment, He completely forgave you of all your past, present, and future sins. All gone. All paid for Him. You are this with Christ forever. So that forever and eternity, we're going to just keep going like. God, you're amazing. And God says, I have a plan for you. I've made you a new creation. You're not, we might say, you're not in Adam anymore. You're in Christ. You're a new humanity. You're different. You're mine. And I have planned from eternity past. That I would do this in such a way, God says, that I get all the glory for what happens. Because I will save you by grace through faith alone. And then I will empower you by my spirit. I will give you what you need so that as you yield to me through your life, you will be this new creation handiwork where I continue to show the world what I alone can do in the life of a person. So I was created... For good works. you We often say it like this, and it's really helpful. You are saved by grace through faith alone. But true faith is never alone. It always will evidence itself in a changed lifestyle. If you know Christ is your Savior, you have the Spirit within. He's done something. He's transforming you. And as we yield to Him, God begins to show the world around us, because the world around us desperately needs to see God's intention for humanity from the beginning, and the only way they'll see it is through us. So He'll take a man and a woman, and He'll bring them into a marriage, with all their struggles, He'll do a work in their life in such a way that lost neighbors look around and go, like, "What in the world?" The way parents handle their children, the way coworkers work at work. The way neighbors respond to one another. On and on and on it goes. In every relationship, God is all about creating this new humanity, his people, in such a way that they model his intention for the world from the beginning. And it's his work, the one who gives us a gift, and the one who creates us new, in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? And I know, you're going to go home this afternoon and your stove's not going to work. Refrigerator's going to break before the meal. The children aren't going to go to sleep for their naps the way they're supposed to. You're going to get that phone call from a distant relative and they're going to be a complete pain in the neck. Because you will go from this place back into the real world, which is filled with people like us. All with our flaws, because none of us are perfect. The difference is, as a Christian, you are in process. You are progressing, not because of you, but because of God's work in in you. Do you see the difference? And you'll still struggle with the devil, and you'll still struggle with the world around, and you'll still struggle with your fleshly passions. I get it. But you're different now. And God calls us to sit back and rejoice in the wonder of what he's created and his salvation. And then to live our entire lives as thank you to the God who has saved us. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not real complicated to understand. I don't think I said anything today where you're like, well, i never heard that one before. You know, it's, it's just right there. And my prayer... Is that it won't stay there. It'll infect us here in every way that we live. I, I want to have Mark play a, a song for us from Casting Crowns. And I was looking at, um, I don't know, a couple of days ago. I told the team kind of late, sorry. Um, but as I heard it, I thought to myself, yeah, that captures what God wants to do in the life of the believer. And if you don't know Christ here today, it's not about your works. You cannot work your way to heaven. It's about the diagnosis to which God alone is the antidote. That's it. And you can come to him. But if you do know Christ, I pray that this song reflects what you really believe. I'll come up right afterwards and close in prayer, but I'd like you to listen to this song.
4: Now I see, I once was blind, but now I see, I don't know how, but when he touched me, I once was blind.
3: Let's pray. Father, may the wonder of the gospel, may we never get over it. We were dead. We were enemies and rebels of you from you. Lord, we chose to live this way. And our culture and the hordes of hell encourage us to live this way. And into this world, you sent your son. That dead people could become living people. By your grace and your grace alone. So that we might finally live by your power. The kind of life that you've called us to live. Father, thank you for the gospel. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So very appropriate that we say we Lord Jesus Christ. So just a moment we'll be passing out a cup and, and a wafer. And we don't do this, there's nothing magical in this, you know. You don't take this and or anything. It doesn't work that way. It's, there's nothing magical in this. But it is an opportunity as for us to think afresh about the wonder of what Christ has done for us. So we think about the, the, the cup, we think about his blood, uh, the, the, the bread, we think about his body that was broken for us. And we stop and we think not only about what he's done in the past, but what he's done for us personally in saving our soul. And we rejoice and say hallelujah for what he's done.
5: So in our hands this morning, we are uh, privileged to hold uh, symbols or pictures of the glorious work of Christ, symbols that are central to the proclamation of the gospel that we hold so dear, symbols of our forgiveness, symbols of our cleansing, symbols of our new life in Christ. And this text that I'll read to you says this. It says, For whenever you eat this bread, this bread, and drink this cup, that is the Lord's table, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A few weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, in the sermon that I preached on the first part of Ephesians, we talked about the fact that the gospel is a proclamation. It's not a set of rules that I have to keep, it is a proclamation. That my forgiveness and my future hope has been secured by the cross work of Jesus Christ. And as we partake of the elements this morning, we are, in fact, proclaiming. You're doing what Doug and James and I do on a regular basis. We are making a statement that in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have found forgiveness So my prayer for you this morning is is that as you eat that bread and drink that cup, in obedience to the Lord's very simple directive, that what you're holding, the message that you're holding, that Christ's body was broken for me, that His blood was shed for me, that that would, by grace, through faith, be true for you today. That it wouldn't be a religious ceremony, that I wouldn't think that by doing this, my relationship with God improves. It doesn't. But because of what it says, that relationship is possible for each one of us today. So on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord and Savior took bread. And when he took it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you, for your benefit. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to say, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That is to say, this speaks of what the blood of Christ accomplishes. That is our forgiveness. And his directive is this, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of what I have done for you. Would we partake? Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.
1: Sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace,
2: how sweet the sound, amazing love now flowing down from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree as grace flows down to cover. It again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, amazing love, now flowing down, from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree, as grace flows down, it covers me, it covers me. It covers me. It covers me. It covers me. And covers me.
1: Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace
2: How sweet the sound Amazing love Now flowing down From hands and feet That were nailed to the tree As grace flows down a cover It covers me. It covers me. It covers me. It covers me. It covers me me. It covers me. It covers me. It covers me. covers Grace Amazing Grace How sweet the sound
1: Yes Lord this morning We thank you for how sweet that sounds to us like grace has been given to us and Lord we love how your scripture paints both here's how it was here how it has been but here's what God says yes you're depraved yes you were lost yes there's an enemy lurking around but God yes there are problems yes there are things outside of my control yes I'm my own worst enemy sometimes but God we thank you Lord that that is true In our lives, we can look to you. You have a plan. You're making a way. Even when there seems to be no hope, no future, even when we still still seem and still feel lost, you are making a way, God. So we trust you as a church this morning, God. We thank you that we can hear your word, that we can then go back and meditate and look over Ephesians 2, speak that over ourselves, study it, memorize it, so that when those times of doubt and trials come, We can speak back to that and say, but God, God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you we can be together, encourage each other. Be with us now as we go from this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.